So it's really great to see you guys. Got uh, lots of first-time guests. Let me just tell you, if this is your first time here, I, I don't know if you could have picked a better day to join Fathom Church and get a great experience about what we're all about, about what this place is about. And so we're so stoked that you're here with us. Really, play, We just hope this is a place for you to grow in faith, to grow in family, and ultimately we want you to be able to experience unconditional love. Uh, that, that doesn't just come from people, but it flows through people from God, uh, a place that you can just connect yourself in real authentic community and really begin to serve and understand what it means to be served as well. So uh, we love you guys so much, and we're so glad you're here. Uh, lots of fun stuff happening today. And if you were with us last week, we got started on a brand new series called Kingdoms. Kingdoms. And last week what we did is we were really, over the next five weeks starting last week, is trying to engage in this idea of what do we have to do to get pride out of our life? Because we've all heard the, the phrase, pride comes before the fall. What do we have to do to get pride out of our life? And what do we have to do to begin to walk in humility as the example that Jesus set? And ultimately, what we were looking at last week is theologically what we see is that pride was the first sin. Pride was what caused Lucifer to fall. Pride was what caused man to fall. And ultimately, pride's not only the first sin, but it's also going to be the last sin. Scripture says that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. And in this humbling, so we can either make a choice, we can choose to humble ourselves or find ourselves humiliated. Either today, tomorrow, or one day, we'll either humble ourselves or be humiliated, uh, and, God, and God will humble us, uh, and every knee will bow. So today we're continuing that series, and, and this week I was, <clears throat> I was watching TV, and I saw this old show that's kind of making, I guess, a comeback. You guys remember Whose Line It Is It Anyway? Did you guys know it's back on TV? No Drew Carey, and I think the show's actually going to be better now. I've always been a big fan of improv comedy and stand-up comedy, and so I was kind of excited to see this, and it was like funnier than what it used to be. And so I thought it'd be really fun to tell the story today as we go into kingdoms, tell the story a little bit differently. And so to do this, I'm going to need some, some volunteers that have had, maybe always had a dream to act in front of people, or people who are great at charades, you don't have any lines I just need you to act out the story as we go. So I need three guys and a girl. That's like just like the cast on Whose Line Is It Anyway. So three guys and a girl. Let me go ahead and get some volunteers. And if you don't, I will awkwardly grab somebody. Daniel, come on, man. Let's do this thing. Shabreen, come on, girl. Um, you've got to stay back there, man. You've got to stay back there. Somebody's got to, you know, click the slides. You'd be perfect for it. Come on, Ross. Come on. I need, I need one more guy. That's right. I need that buck shirt up here. One more guy. Come on, one more guy. Crickets. One more guy. One more guy. There we go. Grant is in the house. Everybody give it up for these guys. Awesome. We're going to have some fun, but the key to us having fun is you guys having some fun, okay? So, so shake it off. And, you know, shake off whatever you, know, you think you're in front of people, and let's have some fun, okay? You guys okay with that? Everybody else okay with having some fun this morning? All right, so let me kind of explain the characters before we get into the story and give you a little background, give you guys some props to kind of work with, okay? Um, so first, I need a King Xerxes, and King Xerxes is going to represent with his Burger King crown. And so um, let's, you, you've got that set up, and I hate to mess up your good-looking hair, but let's put your crown on. We're going to make you King Xerxes, and um, I'll knight you. I'll knight you with, with, the, with the plastic sword here. And uh, you're King Xerxes. King Xerxes, uh, you've probably read him about your, in your history books, probably in middle school or high school. Um, you read about, oh, that's two of them. I just thought it was a really, <laughs> I just thought it was a really big one. I was like, that's cool. Um, 
I'm going to be moving a lot. I'm worried that's going to fall. Um, King Xerxes was, uh, you, you've probably read about him in your history books before. There was lots of Xerxes. This specific one uh, was king from India to the northern Nile region called Kush. So that, that's a massive amount of area that he kind of has rule over and has reign over. So that's a, that's a lot of, uh, of span. And he was not only like powerful, but he was extremely wealthy and he liked to flaunt it. So I'm going to need you to kind of act like a powerful ruler. And like, so come on, like, let, me, let me see the powerful ruler. And then... I need you to kind of rule the people around you, and so kind of have some fun with that. So one time he threw, Xerxes threw a party, a banquet for all like his, his um, like nobles and officials for 180 days. Like, that's a legit party. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, after about an hour, we're starting to look at her watch and be like, this is, the cake was good, man, but I'm going to go hit the couch for a few I'm ready to get home and sleep, and 180-day party. This dude not only had, like, gold, like, uh, a gold scepter in his hand with a, a red thing, but that's not, um, and, and, like, a gold goblet to, like, drink his wine and stuff from, but he had golden couches. Like, I don't even think that would be comfortable, a golden couch, but, you know, when you got that much money, you know, you, you spend it on stupid things. So we'll, we'll learn more about Xerxes here in a few minutes at what happened at, at one of these big parties. Um, but next, I need Haman. I need Haman. And so um, I'm going to pick you for Haman. Is that okay? I'm going to pick you for Haman, and you're going to get picked on today because he was a little bit of an arrogant jerk. Haman's a little <laughs> bit of an arrogant jerk. And, and I can pick Daniel because we've known each other for a long time. We went to middle school and high school together. And uh, I've known him for a long time, so I can pick on him. Um, so he, I used to probably be bigger than him, like taller than him at some point in our life. But that is long past us. Um, and it's obvious he's much bigger and stronger than me. So I will try to be gentle so I don't get hurt. Um, Haman, like I said, he was a little bit of an arrogant jerk, but he was kind of the king's right-hand man. Uh, he was one of his friends, and he immediately moved him to, like, second in command and gave him basically half of his kingdom. Like, again, from India to, to the northern Nile region, all that. He gave him, like, half of that, and he gave him his ring, so you don't need to hand over your wedding ring, but he gave him this thing called a signet ring, which was basically, it had the king's stamp on it, like his crest of sorts, and whatever the king, you know, put his stamp of approval on, like, a law, you know, um, he did it with this ring, and so once that was established, you couldn't undo that. So he gave Haman his ring, and that meant that whatever Haman wanted to kind of put into law, it was going to stay that way. So again, Haman was an arrogant jerk. We're going to talk a lot about him <laughs> and learn some lessons from him. So not picking on you, but you, you get it. Okay, and so on this side, we're going to kind of deal with kind of two different stories. On this side, kind of the, the pride side and kind of the arrogant side. And then on this side, we're going to um, uh, deal with really the, the, the humble side and the faithful side. Uh, and, and the first, uh, k- k- the next person that we need to introduce is Mordecai. And um, you know what? I, I left something out for, um, for Haman. You're going to rock these glasses because he's all about the Benjamins. Um, and so we've got, we've got two more people. You're representing those things, man. Uh, the first is Mordecai. I hate to mess up that hair. It looks so good. But Mordecai's, you look good in that hat, man. Uh, Mordecai is, is kind of your average Joe uh, that, that's just, you know, really faithful. He's a Jewish man who worked as a gatekeeper, and this is, for the day, this is going to be our gate. Uh, to the, this is going to be the king's palace. He was obvi- this is my son's teepee. So, um, and so you're going to guard that, and in the second Xerxes, you're going to go in. <laughs> you're going to go inside that, and we may get both of you guys in there. That would be really fun. But you're going to be guarding that. <laughs> Average, average Joe Mordecai was just a faithful, humble guy who did his job guarding the gate. 
And uh, one other thing about him is um, uh, Esther. And so we're going to go ahead and give you this, and Esther is going to end up being queen. We give this. But Esther was also um, Mordecai's cousin. So she was Jewish as well, but her parents had, had passed away or weren't able to take care of her. So uh, her older cousin, Mordecai, kind of took her under, adopted her, and, and raised her. Um, and, and so that's kind of the relationship there. Uh, they're both Jewish and kind of doing that. So if I can do something, Mordecai, you stay there. Esther, you kind of like go that way for a little bit. And let's get both of you guys um, in, in the palace for a second, like over towards that way. Okay, so we can kind of associate. Yeah, go ahead, Xerxes. And uh, again, remember, you guys, we're going to start the story now, and so let's just remember, let's, yeah, spread that. Um, and so uh, remember, you guys are going to be charadesing it and having some fun with it, so in, in order for all of us to have fun, you guys really need to have some fun, so kind of let loose and let's do the charades action. So let's get into this story a little bit, and we're actually going to look at the entire book of Esther in about 10 to 15 minutes, okay? So if it sounds like I'm talking fast, it's because I am. <laughs> You're not slow. I'm just running with it, okay? I want to tell this whole story. And so early on in the story, we find that during this party, Xerxes um, comes out. He's having a good time, and he comes out, and he calls for his wife, Vashti. And he, she's like, hey, go put your crown on and bring her out here. She was like his trophy wife. I want to show you off in front of all my friends. Again, he's a man of extravagant wealth, likes to show off at the party. He's giving people lavish gifts. He's like, you know, come out here, put your crown on. Come on, like, put your crown on put your crown on, and uh, he's uh, trying to, to uh, you know, get out here and show his trophy wife, and she's like, I'm not doing it. I'm not just going to go out and parade in front of people. A lot of women can get that in here. She's like, I'm not going to do it, but this was a big deal. You didn't say no to King Xerxes. He's a prideful, arrogant man, and even in their culture, it was very disrespectful to, to disobey your husband like this, and so uh, he was really worried, you know, he didn't really know how to go about this, and so he kind of got brought counsel around him, and he's like, you know, what do I do with a woman who disobeys me, my, my wife, my, the queen, what do I do? And they're like, well, uh, you know, we could kill her, that's always an option, <laughs> but this time, let's just ban her, tell her to get out of here, and we'll just kind of move on, we'll find you, we'll find you another one, man. And uh, so they ban her, they get her out of here. And so he brings in, the attendants get together like the most beautiful virgins that they could find. And so they bring all these um, beautiful virgins together and uh, they, they kind of parade them in front and they give them like a full makeover. So Esther is one of those that comes. And one of the things you got to know, there you go. Um, yeah, she's kind of parading around and does the, the, the runway model thing. Mordecai had told Esther, don't tell anybody about your Jewishness. Don't tell anybody about it. Don't tell anybody about it. And, and so she's keeping that on the deal, but she gets paraded around. She gets a full makeover for the king, and immediately King Xerxes likes what he sees. And this is a funny thing, and, and this is a good thing for those of you that are looking for true love. Um, something that we see out of King Xerxes, he's like, hey, she's the most beautiful, but uh, we're going to you know, put you through a lot of treatments. So she goes through six months of what they call oil treatments to prepare her body, and then six months of cosmetic preparation before like, she's queen. A year. You're beautiful and all, but uh, let's, let's, let's get you fixed up a little more after her makeover. So kind of intense. A year. But then she's immediately established queen, and she gets all these attendants to herself and one of the things to, to remember about this is that um, she has everything in the world that she could want and take and really live up this lavish life, but she chooses to, to take none of it, except what the person that oversees her suggests to her, like, hey, 
you should eat something, or hey, you can get yourself some new shoes, <laughs> or hey, you know, so whatever is only suggested to her, the only thing she takes, she can have whatever she wants, but in humility, she just chooses just to take what she needs and what's suggested to her, and she doesn't rule like the rest of them, uh, and so that's what happens at that party. He throws a big party for her, and so that's kind of uh, the, the end of the day there, and so um, yeah, you can kind of move on and be, you know, queen. You can kind of stay close by, though, and uh, the, the next thing we, we find is uh, about Haman. Haman is uh, one of the things that, that King Xerxes has kind of put as an order is that anyone that bows to him bows to Haman. And, and the, everyone bowed to King Xerxes. So if you were in his presence, you saw him, you bowed down. And so with, uh, with Haman, uh, who now has this rule, not only does he have the ring to put into law what he wants, he has to be bowed down to. So Haman one day is walking by uh, through the, ki- uh, the king's gate. So go ahead and, and walk by. And Mordecai, either way, Mordecai is supposed to bow. And Mordecai is like, I'm not bowing. He's a good, faithful Jewish man. He's like, I serve God. I bow down to God. And he's like, I'm not going to do it. So Haman passes by. And this, being the prideful, arrogant jerk, what are some other words that I can think of, um, that he is, he gets angry. He is like furious. He's like, how dare you? Everyone else does. Who do you think you are. And so some people come over to Mordecai and are like, look, dude, look, I get it. You're, you're a Jew and you worship God and everything. He's like, but if you don't want to die, you should probably go ahead and bow down. Like, he's going to like kill you. Like, he's making plans right now. He's got a 50-foot pole to impale you on. Yeah, he's going to kill you, man. You really should think about bowing down. And Mordecai is like, no, I'm not doing it. I'm not going to bow down. He's like, he's a faithful Jew. He's doing his job. And so Haman leaves, but he's kind of making plans and become more and more furious at Haman. And really, I would even call him a racist, uh, that he begins to hate not just um, uh, Mordecai, but he begins to hate the Jewish people, and he wants to eradicate them. And so we're going to find something really interesting that takes place in a second, something that you've probably never heard of unless you've read through scriptures or history books. And well, uh, one day when Mordecai is standing outside, he overhears two guys that are actually some of the king's officials. He overhears this. He overhears two guys plotting to assassinate the king. Whoa, that's like heavy stuff to overhear while you're drinking your coffee, working the gate. <laughs> you're like, whoa, I wasn't expecting to stop an assassination plot today. Um, but sometimes we find ourselves in these situations where are we going to be you know, faithful and do our job or we refuse to get involved. And so he reports this to Queen Esther. He tells Esther through a messenger what's going on. Hey, there's an assassin, assassination plot and you should really tell the king about this. So the king sets out to investigate the matter. Let me see you investigate the matter. Sherlock Holmes style. So he investigates the matter and, and finds that it's true and he has these two men impaled on 50 foot poles. That's like the kind of guy that he was. He did this a lot. This was one of their, their kind of norms for, for punishing people was, was death and impalement on a pole. So sorry to get graphic, but it, that's what it was. And it kind of explains what, what kind of frame of leadership we had here. And so um, she tells him this, but the king is grateful. He's very stoked about this. He's thankful to Mordecai. She gives him credit. You know, it's all Mordecai. He's the one that stopped this whole plot. And obviously the king's very grateful. So uh, next, um, the, uh, Haman comes around, and Haman is, is still furious about all this, but he's kind of thinking about, you know, I've got this ring. I've got this signet ring, and I can, put, I can do whatever I want. So I've got this plan. So he goes to King Xerxes, and he, he kind of sets this out. He's like, look, there's some people out there. He just establishes that there's just some people out there 
who won't obey whatever you say, and they don't obey your laws, and hey, if we, if we don't handle this, could be an uprising at some point. And so Haman goes to the king and he tells him, you know, this is what's going on. Here's my plan. I say we get rid of these people. Let's put, let's put, let's put your, your stamp of approval on it. Let's put your signet ring on it. Let's get rid of these people. And so he, he says let's get rid of these people and they sign it in the law. The king agrees, not really asking much questions. He trusted his friend. He moved him up so quickly to second in command half of the kingdom. And then through all this, um, it, it was the Jewish people. He wanted to eradicate the Jewish people. So signed into law with the, the you can't take it back signet ring is to eradicate the Jews. We're talking about Holocaust tensions here where we're a genocide of an entire people that it, not only did he, he put it out for like their death, but he said, I'm putting some money on the line. There's a reward for every Jew that you killed. He put all the money into the treasury, so anyone that killed someone brought a head and paled them. This is, you know, you'd get paid for it. I mean, can you imagine if that happened in our society? Like, what kind of fear would kind of happen within us? And like, just, just like misery. Like, we would just be shocked. Like, do we literally live in this place in which, like, people aren't accepted for who they are? Shocking. And, and so Mordecai hears about this and begins weeping. I mean, he begins weeping. And he, he begins to tear his clothes. Leave your clothes on. He begins to tear his clothes. <laughs> your wife dresses you nice. Let's leave it that way. He tears his clothes, and he's weeping and wailing. He covers himself in ashes. He, he puts a sackcloth on, which is um, kind of all sign of like mourning and weeping um, for the Jewish people. Esther is kind of in her own world. She's kind of in her own world, in her own little happy land, kind of living life. She doesn't know anything about this uh, until, <laughs> until Mordecai goes to tell her. But the whole time that he's kind of weeping and mourning, these guys are just chilling out, kind of what they say, drinking merrily. They're just chilling out while everybody else is mourning. People are just what the scripture says are bewildered, which is not a word I use often, but they're just bewildered. They just they can't understand this. And these guys are just chilling, having a good time, drinking like it's all good, but we just talked about genocide on the people. Genocide on the people. And so um, through a messenger, they don't have text and they really don't have communication. She's in the castle. He's not. He sends a messenger. Uh, you can send a text. Send, send a text since we don't have another messenger. But he sends a messenger to her and like, hey, here's the deal. <laughs> kind of a big deal going on here. Um, need to clue you in on. First is that they want to kill all of our people. Uh, Haman's kind of put out this order, kind of um, a, a cash reward for killing us. And he's like, you've got to do something about it. And she sends back to Mordecai, I can't just go to the king. In their culture, you couldn't just go to the king unless he invited you in, unless he extended his golden scepter to you. If you came to him uninvited, it doesn't matter who you were, the law was you would die. You don't just walk into the president's office. You don't just walk into the king's office or the king's, um, you know, inner palace. You, you don't just walk in there. And so he, you know, she's very afraid. Uh, she's very, very afraid about walking up here. But Mordecai sends a message back to her after she's like, look, that's kind of scary. I don't know if I can do that. He sends a message back to Esther and be like, look, if you don't do it, first of all, you may die. Second of all, we're going to have to find somebody else that will. God will raise somebody else that will. And so she's scared to death, but she agrees. She sends a message back to Mordecai. She says, have all of the Jewish people fast for three days. Don't eat anything. Don't drink anything. Just pray. Be in prayer. Be in mourning over this. And I'm going to do the same thing. And after those three days, I'm going to approach the king, king whatever it costs me. 
This is kind of a sacrifice. I, I, I mean, right now we can be like, oh, just go talk to him. I mean, just, you know, shoot him an email, very non-confrontational email, and um, ask him, you know, hey, could you not kill all my people? Um, but again, she's hiding her, her, her Jewishness. He doesn't know this, and this is obviously a, you know, a big deal in the story. And so she decides, after those three days, she comes to the king, and she kind of stops at the door, and the king extends his golden scepter, thank God extends his golden scepter, and she's allowed to approach. And he was very excited to see her. He hadn't seen her in over a month. Can you imagine that, not seeing uh, a spouse uh, or your queen, you know, for uh, a month? And so he extends it, and he's excited to see her, and he's, but he's like, what are you doing here? I didn't ask for you to come here. <laughs> um, what are you doing here? Kind of showed up unannounced, and that's just something you didn't do with the king. And, and so this whole time, that he's, he's like, you know, what do you want? And she's like, well, she decides to hold off on the big question. You ever do that? You're like, I need to ask you something, but I'm going to ask you two other things before I ask you that. We'll get to that in a second. <laughs> we'll get there. Let's try to ease into this situation. She's like, so I'm going to throw a banquet. <laughs> That's an easy, I'm going to throw a party. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to give you a drink. Um, and I want to invite you. I want to invite Haman to this party. So go ahead and come on out. We'll kind of act like the party's happening out here. And it's tomorrow, and so they come to the, the banquet, the party, and there, and she serves them through this party. He agrees, and, uh, you know, the king, the king is not an idiot. He knows what something's up, so he's like, hey, are you going to tell me what you actually want? And she's like, I'll tell you at the banquet. You know, I'll tell you then. That's a good time. Let's wait till we're all full and feeling good about life, and um, <laughs> you're doing a great job with this, by the way. <laughs> Let's wait till everybody's, you know, fat and happy, and then we'll ask the question. So they go there, they have a really good time. You guys are just having a good time. You don't look like you're having a good time, and you're wearing those glasses. How can you not have a good time when you're wearing those glasses? So they're having a good time at the banquet, getting fed, and, uh, you know, the king asks her, like, so what's up? You know, you said you are going to ask me something. What's up? Ask for whatever you want. I'll give you half of the kingdom. He's like, I'll give you whatever you want. You're the queen. Um, take care of the queen, right? And so he's like, I'll give you whatever you want. She's like, well, I tell you what, I'll, I'm going to throw another banquet tomorrow. <laughs> She's like, and I'd love for you and Haman to come to the banquet tomorrow. And then we'll, then we'll talk about the whole don't kill my people thing, don't kill me thing. We'll get there tomorrow. And so uh, at, at this point, they all leave. They're all very happy. So they all leave. You can kind of go back in there, I guess. Um, back into your TP. Uh, and then Haman is just so kind of excited and a little bit tipsy, I'm pretty sure, leaving the party. And he, he's headed to home, and he's headed to, and out he sees Mordecai. He's so happy until he sees Mordecai. And what do you think is re- his reaction? He's like, anger. I mean, anger, is, I mean, he sees him and he becomes furious and he's just reminded that he will not bow down. His arrogance gets the best of him. And he's like, that's it. He said, I'm going to kill him. He tells some people, set up a pole outside my house tomorrow or the day after that, whenever this law goes in, we're going to put him on that pole. This is over with. Mordecai is about to die. He's been faithful Jew, but here he is before the, the treasury and the money and all that stuff, before the law goes into thing, we're going to do this thing with him. And so he goes home, and he goes home, and he goes home, and, and, he's, and he's bragging to his friends and family about how awesome he is. So let me hear you just brag for a second about how awesome you are. I'm so awesome. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> he's bragging about how awesome he is. 
He's talking about the parties and the banquets he gets to, all the lavish gifts, how big his kingdom is. He's bragging to his friends and family. And his wife, his wife, um, Zeresh, says, um, basically, pride comes before the fall, and uh, your end is near. I think she just sensed that uh, this, is a, this is about to end for you. I don't know what she sensed, if she just felt his arrogance was going to run him off the cliff or what, but uh, she spoke some truth into him, and, and, but he continued on. He, uh, he kind of grieved in this moment. And so the, the next um, banquet comes around, and uh, so the next banquet comes around. Everybody comes back, and uh, of course Mordecai's not there. He's just doing his average Joe thing. And uh, they're having it, you know, having a good time eating. She's serving, great. Yeah, go ahead and eat. And then uh, eating and drinking, and uh, the king is like, okay, so here it is. What's really up? You ever do that with a friend or a family member or a spouse? What's really going on? Like, can we just kind of push all the other stuff? Can you actually tell me what's really going on? He's like, I want you to tell me. And so she goes, so here's the deal. Um, There's someone within your kingdom that wants to kill all of my people, like all of my people. And, And he's like, are you kidding me? Who would dare do that? I mean, we heard what happened when there was an assassination plot for him. What do you think he's going to do for his wife? So he said, who is, she says, or he says, who is this? And she says, well, it's, it's that dude. <laughs> it's the dude with the pink money glasses. <laughs> Not true. It's Haman. It's your second in command. He's the one that put this in the law. She's like, I'm Jewish. It's my people. He, he wants to eradicate, to put genocide on my people. And the king gets furious. I mean angry, and he marches out into the garden. He marches out into the garden. He's angry. Yeah, we'll put the garden back there, whatever. So he, he's furious. And while that uh, is happening, um, Esther's kind of reclining on a couch, and Haman gets that his end is near. His wife has already kind of foretold this whole thing going down. And he begins to plead for his life. As soon as the king leaves the room, he's like, okay. <laughs> so maybe I was just kidding. Like, just begins to backtrack as fast as he can. But the hole is already dug. He's already in there. Anybody ever dug yourself a good little hole? Can't get out of? He's there. And so he begins to be- begging. She's sitting on a couch, and he falls on the couch. He falls on the couch. He falls on the couch. <clears throat> couch. Very good. Begging for his life falls on the couch begging for his life and and the king and the king comes walking in and is like how dare you i step out for one second and you're trying to molest my wife see what happened what happened and so the king says that's it they immediately put a bag over his head and go and they're like all right fix a pole, and the, his attendants are like, well, there's actually a pole sitting outside his house already. <laughs> we could use that one. And so they impale him on that pole that he set up for somebody else. No more money glasses. And no more ring. The king takes the ring before this and hands the signet ring. I missed a huge part of this story, and I've got to tell it right now. Earlier in the story, um, before the, before, right before the second banquet, um, the king can't sleep that night. And this is a, a, another kind of funny part of the story. 
The king can't sleep, and so he lays down and has the Chronicles of Narnia, I mean, the Chronicles of his own reign, read to him. <laughs> he doesn't read Chronicles of Narnia. He, he has his chronicles of what he's done in his reign. I mean, how arrogant is that? Tell me about everything awesome I've done in the past couple of years. I'll just fall asleep to that. And so while he's doing that, they get to the part where about this guy Mordecai saved an assassination plot. He gets to this part, and he immediately says, hey, did we ever do anything for this guy? Did we ever honor him? Did we ever, like, give him parade or anything? They're like, no, king, we didn't. We just said, thanks, bud. And they, we didn't do anything for him. And the king's like, bring him, bring Haman. And this is before the king knew about uh, everything going on with Haman. And he says, bring him. And so he tells Haman. And Haman walks into the room. And he's like, who would the king rather honor than me? Who would the king rather honor than me? Right. So he, he walks into the room just like, you know, this is all about me. The king wants to throw me a parade. And the king's like, hey, there's this guy Mordecai. I want you to go get him, put a royal robe on him, put him on a royal horse, give him a parade through the city where everybody can praise him and honor him. I mean, how you talk about humiliating to a prideful man that somebody wouldn't bow down to him and now he has to walk the horse through the city <laughs> that he's sitting on to be honored. Talk about humiliating. So this whole, that, that was earlier in the story. And, and he's, you know, honored by the king in that. And so let's skip ahead. He, he's been impaled. Give your glasses back. The king gives Mordecai um, the, the signet ring because of what he's done. Um, Esther is given everything of Haman's, half of the kingdom. She's given half of that. So that's a whole lot of power and wealth she's just been given. And she puts Mordecai in charge of it all. Says, you're in charge of it all. And so, you, can, we give it up, can we give it up for our actors this morning? You guys can be seated. Thank you, guys. So, there's a, a lot of, maybe hopefully that helped and that didn't hurt the story. Um, but they kind of go from a place, she goes from a, being an orphan, and she goes all the way to the place of being the queen, and now she has half of the kingdom. She lived humbly. Mordecai walked humbly and faithful, just working the gate, doing his job, and he didn't get recognition at the beginning, but he was eventually given the signet ring where he could do what he wants. The story goes on to say that the, the order was still in place, the signet ring for that law was still in place, but basically, uh, you know, they, they, they did like a, a retroactive law, like a law against the law, that was basically saying that the Jews could protect themselves. And so the Jews were fearful of everybody. They were looking around every corner thinking they were going to be the next one to, you know, be, you know, someone was going to get paid to kill them. And so in this, it, the, the, the tables turn, and now um, everyone begins to fear the Jews because the Jews can protect themselves. And in a matter of days, they kill over 75,000 people. <laughs> they went from being afraid for their life to having the ability to protect themselves, and they, 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 they killed a lot of people. <laughs> but you can see how the story changed. And so what I'd like to do for the next few minutes is, is just give us, let me give you three questions, three daily questions to uproot pride in our life. And then I'm going to give you three habits, three keys, three mindsets, whatever you want to call them, to walking a humble life. Because it's not just a decision we make. It's not, oh, I'm, I'm humbled today, therefore tomorrow I'll still be humble. I'll still be thinking humble. I'll still be acting humble. Pride creeps in. Pride, pride creeps into our life, and we don't even realize it. So I'm going to give you three daily questions to ask yourself. Go ahead and throw the first one up. And, and the first one is, am I bragging about God, or am I bragging about myself? Am I bragging about 
myself or am I bragging about God? This is an easy question to get pride out of our life. When we hear ourselves, you know, bragging about a job or, or bragging about a car or whatever, and I'm not talking uh, about with, you know, and this is a, a careful thing, and I bring this up for one of the main reasons is social media. Um, when you say to a new friend, you know, hey, I got a new job, what, what should there be response? Like, what do you want their response to be? Like, yes! You've been looking for a new job. I'm so excited for you. When you get a new car because yours has died like a thousand times, what do you want to be their response? Yay! That was perfect. That was really perfect. But the truth of the matter in the society we live in, the social media-driven world, we post so many of these things online, and everyone that we think is, a, is for us, they're not necessarily for you. They're not necessarily for you. And where you see that as really, oh, I'm not bragging, I'm just excited, whatever. You know what 95% of the people around you think, except for the 5% that are closest to you and are actually genuinely excited for you? They think you're prideful. Well, I wish I'd get a new car. I wish I'd get a new job. I hate my job. This is a tension that goes on and and where um, we see that in Haman's life. Haman bragged about himself. He went home telling everybody about how awesome he was. He walked in. Who would the king rather honor than me, you know? He had this whole mindset of of bragging about himself and lifting himself up. Um, But but Mordecai just was faithful. He was just faithful. And and that's such a a powerful thought. And so the the truth of the matter, and something we're going to talk about here in a second, is learning to rejoice with others and finding the people that can really rejoice with us. Um, Because really those people, again, that are maybe indifferent towards us, yeah, we were friends with them a long time ago. We can, gain, we can gain honor and favor with man and with God by living a humble life and giving glory to God. So instead of bragging on ourselves, let's brag on God. God is faithful. God is faithful. I've been wanting a job for, for six years to get out of what I'm doing now, and finally, God showed up. That's bragging on God. That's something that draws people to you, that brings favor to you, that brings favor not only with man, but with God when you give him the glory for everything good that happens. And the, uh, the next, so the first thing is, is, am I bragging on myself or God? It's first daily question. Second daily question, am I, am I looking to serve or am I looking to be served? Am I looking to serve or to be served? Esther's approach, you know, maybe she was just kind of easing into this thing. Maybe she just got it. Maybe she just got, I'm going to honor these men. I, I, I'm going to fix them food because, you know, the way to a man's stomach or man's heart is his stomach, and, and so she begins to serve. So she looks to, to serve in any capacity. We see in Mordecai, he was just a faithful servant. He just did his job and was so consistent at it, even when it was tough. Even when things were tough, we saw him, him ripping his clothes. He's a faithful Jew, and so am I looking to serve or to be served? This is one of those questions, and and in the home, if you have roommates or, or, or you're, you have parents or, or you have kids in your home, whatever it is, this is, is a question that can literally revolutionize your family. It can, it can revolutionize your family. And we don't realize how selfish we are until we look inside of our home. It's really easy to serve people out there, that someone that's really hungry. You know what's really hard to serve? Your brother who lives in the next room is you. You know what I mean? Or your spouse who were constantly counting points about, well, they did this and then I did this. Rip that garbage up. Rip it up. It's going to kill your home. It's pride is what it is. And it's time to uproot the pride, but serving each other. That's the example that Jesus gave us. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Jesus gave his life for the church. He said, wives, submit on your husbands. Serve your husbands. It's supposed to be a relationship going back and forth. 
So as we do this, we're going to find just healthier families, really healthier families when we begin to think, am I looking to serve or be served? This is a huge aspect in our home. And it's not something we make a decision one time. It's a daily decision. It's an every moment decision. Am I looking to serve or to be served? Um, uh, third question is, uh, what makes me angry and what gives me joy? This is, a, this is a big one. And we may not even think about this. And I heard this quote one time that was really, really uh, powerful to me. And it said, be very careful what you laugh at and what you cry at it tells God everything about what's in your heart. Be very careful what you laugh at and what you cry at because it tells God everything about what's in your heart. If we think someone losing their job is funny, if we think someone's struggling is like awesome, great, I'm not glad I'm not the only one. Not, not only does God hear that, but other people hear that. But can we rejoice? Romans um, 12, I think it's 14 through 16. I think we have that on the screen. Romans 12, verses 14 through 16 says, um, you know, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud. Don't be proud. But be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. I mean, it's very straightforward. Don't, don't do this. Don't be proud. But he's telling us what to do. Rejoice with others. Mourn with others. This is really when we begin to be vessels for God. You know, many times we act like this life is like, oh God, I really wish you'd go help them. I wish you'd send somebody to go help them with their flat tire. Send somebody, Lord. Send somebody, Lord. Pray in God. Really pray. Really hope you'd send somebody there. I know they're hot out there, God. It feels good in here, though. I really wish you'd send somebody. And then it's like, maybe this is, maybe this one's to me. Maybe it's me who needs to not be so self-focused and look to serve. Have this opportunity to, to be a miracle for somebody. And God can use you. And you give glory to God. You see how this begins to work. It begins to have an incredible impact on the world we live in. Not just our, our families, but our, our jobs. And I said this over and over again last week. This, this stuff works in the marketplace. We, we act like sometimes this type mentality, but um, people who get this in leadership, it's an impacting thing. And it can bring influence to you. It can bring great influence to you as you learn to serve people because people actually want to follow you. People want to be led by you when they experience that because it, it doesn't make sense. It goes against it. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to teach a message called Crazy, Sexy, Humble, and you don't want to miss that one. And it's because it's crazy, but it's so attractive. It's so attractive. People cannot resist humility and being served. P it, it, people are drawn to it, and that's the kind of community we're trying to create here. And more importantly, that's what the church is supposed to look like. That's what the church is supposed to look like. So those are the three daily questions to be asking yourself. And uh, next I want to give you, so that's about uprooting pride, getting it out of our life on a daily basis. You rip out the weeds and you prune the things, um, that you prune the flowers, you prune the, 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 the trees, you know. Um, you cut them back and, and we just continue to create a healthy mindset of humility. So let's get three keys to walking in humility. The first is learn to handle success well. Learn to handle success well. There's this, uh, since it's football season, woo, football season. There's this guy named Johnny Manziel. Some of you guys may have heard of him. 
He's a little bit of a Haman character. I hate to throw this out there in public, but he's a little bit of a Haman character. He moved up the ladder very quickly. He, he was like an 18, 19-year-old kid who won the Heisman Trophy. And, and, and I'm not reporting this from me, just from everything I've heard and things you see on the news. I listen to a lot of sports radio. And he's moved up. In fact, he was suspended for the first half of the game. He was selling his autographs this offseason, constantly being caught at parties. And he, he's, he's quickly risen to this great kind of notoriety and fame. And he hasn't handled it well. Hasn't handled it well by pretty much everyone's confession um, that are around him and, and media sources. He moved up very quickly. And we counter look at that with Esther. Esther moved very quickly into a place of prominence, but she didn't take everything she could. She, she didn't just take everything. She didn't just go spending money all the time. She just took what was suggested to her, just the, uh, kind of a meek life within that. She came from being an orphan, so she, she kind of left, you know, lived with that still mindset of, you know, I, I, maybe I don't even deserve all these things. And let me just throw this in. This doesn't have anything necessarily do with any of the points, but this is huge. For those of you that it's very natural for you to serve, it's very natural for you to give to others, it's very difficult you, for you to probably receive things, okay? It's very difficult when someone wants to give you something, you say no. And let me just warn you, that's an area of pride as well. So be careful. What is a strength for you will become a weakness, and it'll become something where, no, 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 I can't receive anything. I can't receive. And, and, and the heart of that is good. I think the mindset is good. But slowly over time, that can become a place of pride for us where it's about us. So the first thing is respond to success well. The, the second thing is um, stand in between nothing and everything. Stand in between nothing and everything. Throw up the scriptures. John 15, 5, Jesus says, I'm the vine, uh, you're the branches. Apart from me, you can't do anything. You can't do anything. We need to have this mindset. We need to have this habit, this, what I've heard one author call a habitude. And habit, it's an attitude in our brain that I can do nothing apart from Christ. But there's also another scripture you've probably heard of, Philippians 4, 13, that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Stand in the middle, I can do nothing, I can do everything. Stand in the middle. That, that's the kind of mindset. That's what real humility is about. Many of us just think it's about no, 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 no. But sometimes it's no, but yes. I can't do this, but through Christ I can. This, this can bring an extreme amount of power to your mental, your emotional, your spiritual life. As there's things that you're wrestling with and you can't figure out, uh, or you can't understand a solution, say, I can't do this. But through Christ I can I can't deal with this situation at work anymore, anymore. But through Christ, I can do this. It's both ways. It's saying I cannot, but I can. That's a place of humility. It's a place of giving God the glory, giving God the honor, and God can use us within that. So respond to success well. Stand between nothing and everything. I think Esther's back was a little bit against the wall, but what did she do? What did she tell the Jews to do first? Fast. Don't eat for three days. Pray and fast. And wait. And then she had the courage to stand and say, I can do this. I can do this. I'm going to do this. Whatever it costs me, my people need me. Respond to successful. Stand in between nothing and everything. And the last one, go ahead and throw it up there. Be faithful where you are because where you begin is not where you end. Be faithful where you are because where you begin is not where you end. Mordecai was just a gatekeeper, just an average Joe, Jewish Joe. 
He was just an average guy, but he was faithful. When he had an opportunity to maybe kind of look away and be like, I don't want to get into that mess. I don't want to deal with an assassination plot today. I think most of us would be like, I don't want to deal with this. But he was faithful in that, right where he was. Esther came from being an orphan. She was adopted and raised by her, her cousin. She was brought in and probably felt kind of used and abused, honestly, in that society. Felt used, oh, Am I good enough? Am I not good enough? Can you imagine kind of the mental things that she went through? We're going to make you over, and then we're going to put you through six months of oils treatments, and then all this. I imagine she was dealing with some serious emotional stuff. As much as someone would be excited about moving to the queen, she had to deal with everything else that a queen had to deal with. But she's faithful where she at, and where you begin is not where you end. Where you begin is not where you end. Uh, we see something um, in, uh, in Roman, I believe it's Romans, yeah, Romans eight seventeen. Now if we're children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If we indeed share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. We're co-heirs now. We've been adopted in as sons and daughters, making that confession of faith. We've been adopted in as sons and daughters. And, and just because we began in, in a place that was ugly, that was dark, that was a that was one that was abused, and now I'm an abuser. Just because we started there, just because we were a user, doesn't mean that's where we're going to end. Just because we came from an alcoholic family doesn't mean that my family's got to be an alcoholic family. It, it, it does, just because we begin here doesn't mean we end there, but stay faithful where you are. Don't, don't think you can do all these crazy things in the future. Just worry about being faithful today in the moment. But you've been, you've been adopted in. Your heirs, your co-heirs with Christ. And that's a great amount of responsibility, but let's make it simple. Just be faithful where you are. Faithful where you are. Three daily questions to ask yourself. Ask yourself those things on a regular basis. Jot those down. Go back on the message series and jot them down. Let's learn to walk as a community. Let's learn to walk in this humility and just say, God, I can God, just help me. Help me to live this out. Help me to look to serve and not to be served. Help me, when good things come, God, help me to handle it well. Uh, not, help me not get consumed with myself. Don't believe my own press. God, help me to stay faithful in that. Uh, let's say a word of prayer, and I want to give you a few moments of instruction. Uh, God, we find ourselves uh, just humbled through what we've experienced in worship today. Um, through your holy word today. God, I pray that your word would renew our minds. It would uh, bring strength to our hearts. God, it would bring clarity to our situations. God, often we don't know where to find the answers, but we can do nothing without you, God, and we can do all things through you who gives us strength. God, I just pray we find rest in that today. I pray for those hearts that are weary, that are tired. We'd find strength in really a plan, God, for us to walk this out, to get the pride out of our life, to walk humbly and faithfully where we are. God, know that you're going to bring us victory, God. Where we begin is not where we end. God, and I pray for those that have never made a decision to follow you today, God, those that um, have maybe been kind of running in your own, their own prideful direction. God, I pray that today, uh, your spirit would draw them to a place of humility to make the choice to humble themselves before you and say, I can't do this. I'm not good enough. God, the religious track that I was running, God, I, I need freedom from that. I need true relationship with you. God, and I pray today that you would do something. You'd stir something within us.
that would radically affect the people around us in a greater way. In Christ's name, amen.